Welcome to the Dreamcatcher Podcast, a place where your dreams can find a voice. I'm your host, Celine Chenoy. Thank you to all of you who return every week to tune in to become a better version of yourself. Make sure you hit subscribe if you haven't already, and rate our show if you enjoyed this episode. We're all born whole, complete, and undivided. In other words, we're born in integrity. That's just our nature. But nature often clashes with culture. We may abandon parts of ourselves to please others. And in this way, we leave integrity and get off our path. My guest today, Dr. Martha Beck, will help us find our way back to full integrity based on the principles from her newest New York Times bestselling book, The Way of Integrity, Finding the Path to Your True Self. Dr. Martha Beck is a New York Times bestselling author, life coach, and speaker. She holds three Harvard degrees in social science, and Oprah Winfrey has called her one of the smartest women I know. Martha is a passionate and engaging teacher known for her unique combination of science, humor, and spirituality. In this interview, Martha is going to grace us with her wisdom, humor, and experience to show us how we can stay true to ourselves and remain committed to living a life of purpose and meaning. And if you like what you heard, please don't forget to like, rate, share, and subscribe to this podcast. Thank you. Hello, Martha. How are you doing today? Hello, you. I am so happy to be here. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing terrific. I'm so excited to talk to you. I've been a fan of your work for the longest time. It actually goes as far back as my late teens when I read your book, Finding Your North Star. And it really laid the foundation that I needed to live a purpose-driven life. So I really want to thank you for that. Oh, that's so great. It's really, it's an amazing thing to write a book and sort of throw it out like a message in a bottle. And then, you know, 20 years later, somebody you find somebody who read it, you know, found it on the shore, opened the bottle, read the message. It's magic. It really is. And uh, in your book, uh, which we'll talk about uh, in a bit, you talk about mentors and finding those soul teachers. Mm -hmm. Um, And I love that you say that it can come in the form of a book and yours certainly did. um, Oh, I'm so happy. (laughs) Your brand new book uh, is called The Way of Integrity, Finding the Path to Your True Self. Huh? Um, Somebody made me a necklace with it. <laughs> I'm sorry? Somebody made me a necklace that has a tiny copy of the book. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. how cool is that? Oh, my gosh. So it's obviously really touched people. It's already a bestseller. So congratulations. Thank you so um, much. And it's filled with so many gems of wisdom. And, uh, and I'm just so uh, looking forward to talking to you about some of, those, some of those concepts that you covered in the book. Thank you. Yay. Yay. <laughs> so the first thing I want all, everyone to know is that you're someone who walks your talk. Uh, wow. Because you've been on this lifelong journey of... Uh, finding your way to integrity. Um, in the book, you write that it brought you into a more joyous life than you thought possible. So could you please tell us what it really took for you to get on that path? Ooh. Well, my whole 
premise is that we're each born sort of knowing who we are and we're born whole. And that's all integrity means. It just means to be whole and intact. It's not like some virtuous thing. It's just being yourself. Um, And then we hit social pressure from around us. And very often, even before we can talk, we, we realize that we have to act in ways that are, aren't exactly our nature. So we act more cheerful or whatever. And at that point we split and we usually abandon our true self and go with the culture around us. And then we're divided. So we're not in integrity anymore. And that feels like a kind of soul death. So for me, my particular experience of that was being born in a very, very fundamentalist religious home and uh, where my father was a big cheese in the church and everyone in town was a member of the same church and it didn't really work for me but when you're a kid you're like all right you know (laughs) every righteous man gets his own planet okay I'm three I don't know (laughs) so then I grew up and when I was 17 I went off to Harvard which is about as different from you know fundamentalist religion I know Um, so I, and all I wanted to do was be accepted. And that's why most of us lose our integrity, not because we're bad, but because we're trying so hard to be good, to be loved, to be accepted. So I just started pretending to be a believing Mormon in Utah. And then I try to pretend to be a believing atheist at Harvard. And both things were just soul murder because I didn't even know my own you, know, you were ex- experiencing that conflict in your beliefs, right? That you mentioned. Yeah. And neither one of them actually matched who I was. So then um, I had this experience. Uh, well, I stayed at Harvard for a master's PhD. So I'd been there like half my life. And I had a baby who was diagnosed with Down syndrome before he was born. And I chose to keep him, even though I'm pro-choice. And everyone said at Harvard said I was throwing my life away. And I agree. They were right. I was throwing away the life I had planned, but it it sucked. (laughs) And the life I got back was really great. So then I thought, well, this is really interesting. I actually have a center. There's a part of me that made a decision there against all advice. And it felt true. And I started really pursuing my own truth. So I decided one year I wouldn't lie for a whole year when I was 29. Yeah, yeah. I had How did she do that? <laughs> uh, yeah, I was in a lot of pain by that point. Emotional pain, physical pain. Because if you abandon yourself far enough, your moods go downhill, but so does your body. Like the body responds violently. The moment we start doing something that's either a lie for us or not really what we want for ourselves. So I was really suffering. And I believe that being split from ourselves is actually the cause of psychological suffering. And therefore coming back into wholeness or integrity is the answer. So I didn't lie for a whole year. And during that year, (laughs) I I walked away from or lost um, my religion, my family of origin, um, my profession. I quit academia, which was the only thing way I knew how to make money. I quit my job. Uh, I left my home. I uh, sort of fled from the area. And um, how did you find the courage to do that, Martha? Because, I mean, you left your whole world, everything you knew. You know, I was going to say it was just the suffering that was driving me. And that actually is our greatest ally. That, you know, if you're suffering enough, you'll do a lot to get away from it. Yeah. But in my case, I had some help because midway through that year, when everything was falling down around me, 
and I was really having a difficult time. I ended up in surgery and during the surgery, even though I, I was anesthetized, I, um, I, I woke up, but I wasn't in any pain. I sat up, I watched the doctors and then I operating on my body. And then I thought, wait, I'm, it's still lying down. So I got very confused and I lay back down into my body. And then between the surgical lights above me, this light appeared that was about the size of a golf ball, but it was unbelievably bright and so beautiful. And it started to grow. And when it touched my body, I felt this flood of absolute love and peace and joy and bliss, unlike anything I'd ever remembered feeling. And um, basically this light communed with me for a while and said, look, this is going to be really hard, but I'm always with you. I always have been, always will be. You can handle what's coming. Um, and this joy you're feeling now, this love, this bliss, this is not something you're supposed to feel after you die. It's something you're meant to feel while you're alive. And so I came out of that surgery and immediately, well, first I asked to see the, the anesthesiologist because I wanted to know what he'd given me because I wanted more. <laughs> and he told me he was going to, they saw me crying when the light touched me and they thought I was in pain. So um, they were going to increase the anesthesia. And then he said, a voice told him, don't do that. She's crying because she's in pain. And he was really worried that he'd done the wrong thing. So I reassured him, but he said it wasn't the drugs. And then after that, I came out of there and I thought anything that doesn't feel like that light has to go. So that was when just every, I just started walking away from things because walking away from what was wrong for me was walking toward the feeling that light had given me. Mm -hmm. And the only thing as powerful as intense suffering is intense suffering interrupted by complete and total joy. <laughs> That combination, yeah, that assurance from that, from that light, that entity, whatever you want to call it, and that gave you the confidence to, to not confidence, but yearning. It gave me yearning, and I talk a lot about yearning when I coach and in all my writing because, like, I talk about the things that we want because the culture says we should have them, you know, money and fame and whatever, but the things we want in the daytime are not the things we yearn for when we wake up in the middle of the night. Mm. And I mean, like, how's it different for you? You could say, I want a car or whatever, but what do you yearn for, Celine? Yeah. And how do we know that, Martha? There's something I call the ring of truth or the chime of truth or the click, the aha, the light bulb. It's a feeling we all have like a puzzle piece fitting into place when something's true for us. And it's like nothing else. It's that that click. Like you could put all the pieces of the puzzle, you could try to jam them in and it you could force fit them, but it wouldn't feel right. When you find the piece and it goes click, it's just like, whew. to me, that's what happens when all our meaning making systems, so body, mind, heart, soul, they all agree on something. And it's a sense of hope. Oh, relaxation it's it, it's physically measurable when we hear something that's true we relax our immune response improves and there's actually one statement that i've used i've, I've tried um asking people all around the world all different lives um what feels the truest to you and the the single sentence that seems to make everyone feel that 
is the sentence, I am meant to live in peace. Wow. So, yeah. If you try saying that to yourself, I am meant to live in peace. peace. Why do you think that's the case? That it Because I think is it, peace is where we come from and peace is where we're headed. And if we, it's the sensation that white light gave me. I really do believe that when we're in contact with reality as it is, what we feel is this measureless peace. And within that peace, we can feel really a wide range of emotions because this peace is not, um, it's not emotional. Mm. It's a state of being of the whole self. So like happy, sad, happy, sad, they all move through the field of peace. And by the same token, like birth, death, birth, death, those always alternate for every birth, there's a death, but they're moving through the field of life and life has no opposite. So life and peace and joy and, and love, those are all part of this field that is our entire self, that is reality. That's my personal belief. So when we say that we're meant to live in it, everything says yes. And that's your chime of truth. And that's when you know you're in, te- you're in integrity. Yeah. You feel that way all the time. You feel that way when you go to wash the dishes. That's the right thing for you at that moment. It can be very, very granular and subtle. But if you always turn toward what makes you feel that way, for me, it was light, not light. It was the, It made me feel like that light or it didn't. And I just kept turning and sometimes tiny, tiny changes. And I actually recommend in the book that you make tiny, tiny changes. Uh, one degree change? Yeah, the one degree turn is like if an airplane turns one degree every half hour, you won't even know it's turning, but you'll end up in a completely different place. Yes. So that one, that year of not lying was very extreme. And I do not recommend that method. <laughs> I recommend something much gentler. How did you feel after that, Martha? Like, how did you feel? Um, I've been in all this physical and emotional pain, depression, anxiety, physical pain all over my body, different organ systems. All of those had begun to heal for the first time in decades. Emotionally, I was deeply grieving everything I'd lost. And in the book, I call it, I borrow this um, phrase from Mario Martinez, who's a, he's an anthropologist and neuroimmunologist. He says, whenever we leave something, even if it's bad for us, we have to mourn the known misery. So we have a misery. We have a miserable life, but at least we know it. It's familiar. And the moment we leave the familiar, the human brain goes, oh, no, danger, danger. I'm not used to this. And also, I want to go back. I want to go back, even if it was horrible. I've seen people do this, want to go back to like battering relationships and terrible things because it's scary and it's hard. It's scary to go into something new and it's hard to let go of something old. But once you learn to do that easily, life gets much, much, much less difficult. <laughs> yeah. So it's just that initial phase of discomfort, right? When you're. Yeah. Yeah, just, yeah, you go through a grieving process. You call it the inferno? Am I right? The stage? Yeah, well, the 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 sort of wandering around not knowing what's yeah. going on. I, I modeled this book around Dante's Divine Comedy, and he starts that book by saying, um, in the middle of my life, I came to myself in the middle of this desolate wilderness. He doesn't know how he got there. He doesn't remember where how to get out. And the only way out for him is to go through the famous inferno. Yeah. And I think all of us have moments when we're like, how did I get here? What, 
this isn't what I meant, right? This isn't what I wanted. And the only way to go to get out is to find our inner demons. The inner demons to me are beliefs that go against our truth. So I was told, for example, women are second-class citizens. That did not feel right to me. It did not have the chime of truth. I was told to believe it to be a good, righteous Mormon woman, but it just did not sit well with me. And so being bound to it by my culture and even believing it a little was torture. And I had to just disbelieve it. And then I was free. I had to believe what felt truer, which is we're all equal. And whenever we are stuck in something, if we go into our personal inferno and find the belief that is, is, it's, is sticking us in hell, it's binding us to hell, and disbelieving what we've been taught is the way to break the chain. And then we get to go on to the next demon until we're free. Right. And is that the case for everyone? Because you say that um, following the way of integrity will eventually lead you to go against your culture. Um, is that the case for everybody? Or are there some people who are perfectly happy um, fitting into the mold they grew up in? Because I know some people in, in my family and, and my relatives who are okay falling in line with, with the culture. Yeah, I think some people are much more adapted to their cultures than others. For example, I was born, I was just genetically happy at school. I loved books. I loved to learn. Um, it was just the perfect environment for me. And other kids around me were suffering. I had no idea how much pain they were in until I later became a coach and heard about it retrospectively. But everyone at some point is going to remember I'm saying culture could be anything from a couple relationship to a family, to an ethnicity, whatever it is, you're going to bump into something that is, that's going to pressure you to not be true to yourself. The most common one is that people don't like to know that you're suffering. So when you're in pain or when you're having a difficult time, they would much prefer it if you just pretended to be comfortable. And that's the biggest way we lose our integrity is we pretend to be comfortable when we're not. Yeah, we're and told it, not to ruffle any feathers or exactly. Yeah, don't rock the boat. And there will be a time when you don't feel good. Um, I I was watching a movie with someone, and the movie was it's called Room. Have you seen this movie? Uh, Room, no, not seen it. It's about a woman who is kidnapped and kept in this like escape-proof room by her captor who, you know, sexually abuses her and she has a child and the, the, they're in there for five years and then she finally gets out and she has post-traumatic stress disorder. And her mother says to her, well, you should always be nice to people. And she says, mother, it is being nice that got me kidnapped. I've tried to be nice to this man. Don't tell me to be nice. And I was watching this movie with another woman, uh, with several people really, but this one woman sat up when she said, don't tell me to be nice. And she said, that girl is a. And I was like, she was captive for seven years. She was raped. She was, well, you just have to be nice. So yeah, there are some people who are so obsessed with us being nice and polite that the slightest honesty about unpleasant experiences goes against their um, cultural standards. And they will shame you, punish you, chastise you. 
um, walk away from you. They'll do something to try to influence you to, to make the world more the way they think they want it. Yeah, and, and that's so unfortunate. It's during those times, right, that you have to really, um, uh, you really have to question your choices and do the inner work so that you can. Yeah. That you should realize that it's not working for you, this whole trying to be nice and, and uh, yeah. Well, if it makes you, if, it, if you lose your own soul in the process of getting everyone else's approval, are you really that far ahead? <laughs> life becomes torture at that point and it's, it's no it's not worth it yeah and what if, martha what if people are living in circumstances that makes it hard for them to live in integrity um for instance they they, they don't have enough money or they're living in a household where they're surrounded by difficult people yeah uh, what advice do you have for people like that who can for them to climb out of such restrictive Right. Well, I want to draw a distinction here, which I think is really important that not having enough money is actually not a condition that would cause you to lose your integrity. As long as you're willing to admit that you don't have enough money, lying about it would, but not having enough money, there's no pressure there to leave yourself. There's just pressure to find a way to live. But if people start to be upset with you, right, then you have, you have a choice to make. Do you play their game or do you yeah. do you rock the boat? Now, your integrity will not only tell you what to say, but it will tell you when to be silent or, you know, when to just agree and go along. After my year of not lying at all, when I was 29, I decided that if I had been in Germany during World War II and I was hiding Jews in my basement and the Nazis came and said, are there Jews in your basement? I would have lied and felt completely moral about it. If you're in a psychotic system, if you're in an evil system, your integrity may caution you to be silent or even to go along in order to get out of a real, like if that woman in the room had been able to get out by lying to her rapist, I would have said, go for it. That's still integrity. Yeah. Check inside and see what feels moral to you. It's not as black and white as just, are you lying? Right. Yeah. So there's privacy and integrity. There's security and integrity. There's, uh, there are measures inside you that will tell you what to say and when to say it. Right. Right. Because I know some people who are financially dependent on um, individuals who you'd consider toxic. Mm, Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, So in such situations, how does integrity look? Well, you'd have to say, am I like, for example, okay, say I'm in a relationship where I'm financially dependent on on a husband who's toxic and I have, well, like my own, my own mother's experience. I I have eight children and I'm in a a social environment where women can't get a job. Probably a good idea to just stay in the relationship and do what you can to get your integrity back when you've got the time. But the moment you know for sure, or even feel deeply, I could do this somewhere else. Then it's time. Then again, you have a choice to make. Are you staying because you are really dependent or are you staying because you would rather be dependent than face the massive shift of taking care of yourself? Yeah. Okay. And only, you know, where that, you know, I talk about one degree turns, there comes a moment where the one degree turn says, do I stay or do I go? And it may just be a little step, 
But when you face it, your integrity will let you know. And I've seen a lot of people who pretend to be stuck when they're actually not stuck. When I'm in South Africa talking to rural people there and I tell them that Americans worry about money, they burst out laughing. They're like, how could you possibly worry in this ridiculously wealthy society? And it's really true. Like compared to somebody who's really got nothing, most of us who worry about money are wealthy. And yet we still pretend that we are just barely getting by. I mean, I'm going to offend people with this, but look very closely at your claims of dependency because it's a really easy place for a lie to sneak in. Such a good point. That's that's a really, really good point, Martha. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and you also say that negative emotions like feeling angry, stuck, and depressed can actually be um, guiding you towards a better version of yourself. Um, sure. Can you tell yeah. us more? Well, I've been, I've used this since finding your own North Star 20 years ago. Um, if, if you are headed away from your true self, the very first thing you're going to experience is an emotional pushback. So uh, the first thing actually is a sense of being off purpose, like not having meaning. And it's a difficult, like we don't have one emotional word for that, but there's a feeling of purposelessness that actually will get you the moment you abandon yourself. And after that comes, for some of us, it's depression, for some it's anxiety, for some it's irritability and hostility. So the out of the four categories of emotion, mad, glad, sad, and scared, you'll feel all the negatives to wake you up. It's like they put those rumble strips on the road. So if you drift off the center of the road, it goes and it wakes you up if you've fallen asleep. And that's what negative emotion does. If we've fallen off our truth, it goes and we don't feel good. And that then it's time to go sit quietly and say, what is the source of my anger? What is the source of my anxiety? And it will lead you to a place where you've abandoned yourself. And after 30 years of coaching, I can tell you it always works that way. Yes. And I think, uh, you know, making that change is where people get stuck because they're afraid of all that it's going to entail, right? All yeah. maybe you have to leave a relationship or yeah. uh, you got to leave a job and yeah. afraid of what, what, what's going to happen, what the consequences of, of making those moves. Oh yeah. It's the unknown and it looks, it's always, always, always scary. And there are very few times, I mean, faking something is the opposite of integrity, right? But there's one thing I ask people to pretend and that is pretend you're brave because there's actually no difference between pretending to be brave and actually being brave. If you're pretending to be brave enough to do the scary thing, guess what? You have just shown courage and it's not easy, but here's the thing. The unknown can be so much better than you can imagine. So most of us use our imaginations to either continue our expectations of life the way it has been, or to think of something even more scary. We're very, very addicted to thinking of terrible things that could go wrong. True. And try using your imagination. Dante does this at the end of the Divine Comedy. He says three times in a row, imagine something incredibly beautiful for yourself. Now imagine it even better. Now imagine it even better. And then he says, now hold that steadfast like a rock. And that's what you go for. 
So the use of the proper use of imagination is once you are in integrity to imagine the beauties and the joys and the wonders that could come to you instead of the terrible, awful things. Yeah. And do you recommend any practices or any tools that people can use to create that vision for themselves? Well, they say there are a thousand paths up the mountain to the same summit, but I mean, a fun one for me, and it's, it's kind of kitschy, but it works, is vision boards. Yeah, I have like, one. Do you have a vision board? I love vision boards. <laughs> I have to tell you a story. Um, once, is, is, are people going to see this on video? Because Yes, they are. Okay, so uh, one of my dear friends in life is Maria Schreiber. <clears throat> former first lady of California. Yes. And about 15 years ago, we were sitting talking. And I said, I want to make a vision board. And she was like, oh, please. And I was like, no, you got to make a vision board with me. So she got, we got all these magazines and we cut out pictures and she didn't put many pictures on. She just said, you know, what I really want is, you know, Rumi says out beyond judgments of right doing and wrongdoing, there is a field. I'll meet you there. Right. She said, that's what I want. And she cut out a piece, a picture of just an open plane with a horse in it. She said, I like my horse. I like horses. Mm -hmm. So she said, that's it. It's the open field. That's what she called it. And then so years go by. I think of this book. I write the book. I sell it to Penguin Publishers. And after I've already finished the book, Penguin opens a new imprint with Maria Shriver and she calls it the open field. And oh. on the spine of my book is the horse in the field that we put on our vision on her vision board 15 years ago. And she was just like, oh, whatever. And now it manifested in this is what I mean by your life will bring you joys and wonders that you cannot imagine. You start throwing out positive images that are just like, eh. in fact, it's better if you take it lightly and it will come back to you in ways that the universe goes, oh, you think you just want to go stand in the grass? Well, you can have that, but try this. You have your own publishing imprint. You know, it's, it's, um, there's real magic in just settling into what your soul wants and not fighting it, just playing with it. So any way you can imagine, write it down in a journal, tell your friends about it, put it on, you know, stick your vision board to the wall, go to a place you've never been before. Anything you do that stimulates your imagination to think of positive things is going to potentially create that future. Right. And to really get excited about it, because a lot of people lose their zest for life, especially if they're in a place in their life where everything's kind of okay. I mean, it's not so bad, but... Um, yeah, I mean, if they get into the state of complacency. Um, yeah, not so bad is not good enough. In in the Divine Comedy, there's, after you go through the Inferno, you have to climb a mountain called Purgatory. And then that... I love that, by the way. I, lo I love that. And I love the whole thing, but that particularly, um, I don't know, somehow it uh, resonated with me. Oh, cool. Yeah, so... Uh, purgatory means walking your talk. You have to get your, get rid of these ideas that have made you unhappy. Yeah. And a lot of people in the divine comedy decide not to climb the mountain. They just walk around the base of it. So they're not in the inferno, but they're not actually doing pushing forward toward more truth. And they just kind of stay in the same holding pattern. But because Dante goes all the way up the mountain, he gets to the point where he's completely in harmony with himself. And then paradise emerges and in paradise everything he thinks you know, comes to pass it's 
full of beings of light who love him and he loves them. And, and life is wonderful. And one of the things I think he's saying is life should not be just okay. Life should be wonderful. So if your life isn't wonderful, you could stand to be in a higher state of wholeness or integrity. And that's what I hope this book helps you do. Did I answer the question? Yeah, no, you did. You did. I think, you know, I was just asking, like, if our people are in that state of complacency, how can they shake that off and believe that there is a bigger and better life for them, that they can pursue, you know, these um, a higher vision for themselves? And yeah, they won't do it until they start to yearn. That's my experience. And that's how um, the, the mountain of purgatory is so steep that Dante can't climb it. And then he says he does it because of his, the intensity of his yearning. And that it's interesting because long before I wrote this book, I've been using that. As I said before, I ask people what they yearn for, because what we want may or may not come to us. But what we yearn for, that is the soul reaching out for what is intended for its experience on the earth. That's my belief. And if we start to find our truth, then we may walk away from things we thought we wanted, but we will get what we yearn for. And to me, that's everything. That's everything. Martha, thank you so much. I really want to thank you for gracing us with your wisdom and your light. I so appreciate you being here. Thank you so much. Thanks for for creating this podcast and being so inspiring. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Dr. Martha Beck's book is called The Way to Integrity, Finding the Path to Your True Self. And it's now available on all major bookstores and online platforms. Martha, it's it's been an honor and pleasure to talk to you today. Same here, Celine. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed what you just heard, please subscribe to my podcast and feel free to share it with your friends and family. Take care and speak soon.